All right, well, thanks everybody for joining in with Theology with Friends. I've got a new friend today. Um, her name is Miss Christy Adams, and uh, she's got an NDIV from Princeton. She's also a reverend, so <laughs> I'm talking to my pastor right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm excited to talk with you. I was just telling you, I took a womanist class recently, and I really stumbled upon your work through your CT article. Um oh. And um, then I started following you and saw you had um, a book based on womanist theology in that realm. And yeah. I got super excited mm -hmm. and I thought what an opportunity to introduce some of my listeners to um, the idea of womanism because uh, it was it's pretty new to me as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So thank you for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Um, this is actually like my first because my book um, comes out in August, um, okay. so eight months of this year. So this yep. is like my first time talking with anybody in the year of the book coming out. And I haven't even really talked about the book that much in anything that I've done um, previously. So this, I, I would say this is the start of a, you know, pseudo marketing campaign. <laughs> Because I, I really need to jump on it at some point. I knew once it turned 2024, I was going to need to. But like, yeah, was that sweet spot of like six months out or five months out, you know, you don't want to do things too soon. But then, you know, it's just it's hard to figure out how to start talking about your book. So yeah. you're making it very easy for me to kick that off. So thank yeah. you. Great. <laughs> I, um, I think it's good even for my listeners who maybe are just getting introduced to womanism. Mm -hmm. um, they can do a little bit more research. And then when your book comes out, they'll they'll be ready for it. So yeah, um, yeah. And mine, I'll explain it a little bit more. I I, yeah. um, I don't go too much into womanist theology. I'm sort of introducing, and I wouldn't even say introducing because there are some 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 women that have done um, similar work around black girlhood and theology. Um, mine is just sort of coming in the form of a book, but mm -hmm. there have been women who have written, whether it's chapters or parts of their thesis or dissertations or things like that. So I'm trying to create more of like a subset of womanist theology. So definitely we can talk more about womanist theology in general, but um, I do want to sort of like make it clear that I'm, the, the book doesn't dive too, too much in that area, even though there's an introduction that um i wish you know what while we're talking sorry i'm, I'm like I'm, I'm listening i'm like i should have just pulled up since i don't have my like book book on me right now but i do have the like the manuscript and there's parts of the introduction yeah. that i think would be really helpful to what we're yeah. talking about so i'm listening keep talking i'm just pulling that up yeah definitely <laughs> um yeah well i think um I think in one of your descriptions about the book, you mentioned like adding to the canon of, you know, just womanist theology and um, in your own way, what, what you were talking about. But I, I think for me, I just want to go down the road of, you know, this, this theological idea mm -hmm. of hearing from different voices. I think my professor at Duke Divinity, um, mm -hmm. Wyland Wilson, Mm -hmm. um, she's done a bit of work on womanist theological ethics. Mm. And so like, you know, the, the intense stuff to read, I was like, you know, um, mm -hmm. she's a genius, but, um, you know, that was her whole thing was this, mm -hmm. is, you know, you might've only heard from 
yeah. one narrative, one story. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think you're totally in the realm, um, even if it's not like the most explicit thing, like you said, yeah. but, um, but totally. So yeah, you can read from the book or, and I'd love to hear, you know, what led up to a lot of your writing. Cause you've written. Yeah. yeah tell me where you want to start. That. Actually, let's just go <laughs> to the beginning then. Right. Yeah, because totally. This is my third book. Um, this will be, this okay. will, this will be my third book. Um, like in this top corner right here are um, my first book and then my yeah. second book, second book and then second and a half book. Cause there's a middle grade version of the, of yeah. the second book that, so most some people will say, "Oh, this is your fourth book," but this is actually like really my third. Uh, um, but uh, you know, black girlhood. Hmm. You know, that was always some um, part of my own identity and my own um, upbringing. And this goes into what this book is about. About you know my sort of the the spiritual upbringing, the the faith, how I was introduced to God. As a young girl, this book is more sort of an articulation of that, as well as other Black girls. But it really started then, um, and I, I was talking about my 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 spiritual journey as a young person, um, even before this that book came out. You know, when people were talking uh, or interviewing me, and I was having conversations about Parable of the Brown Girl, my first book. Um, so I always start with like my own experience, which is really essentially what womanist theology is all about, right? It's a reflection from the perspectives of Black women who are at the center of that the, that theology, right? Sort yeah. of like the, the center of um, what does the knowledge of God look like from the experiences and perspectives and narratives of Black women? Mm -hmm. um, and so that I, I, I would summarize womanist theology in those words. Yeah. And so for me, um, it was really interesting going to seminary my first year and reading the Karl Barts and the Paul Tillichs, and I love Paul Tillich, um, you know, and, and, and some of the, the classical theologians. And, and I kind of write about this in my intro about mm -hmm. like them being the sole voices for what I felt like were the sort of like the authoritative lens for theology. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I'm I'm in classes and we are, you know, having whether it's debates or I'm listening to professors and other teachers, and we are we are talking about theology from the lens of these authors, from these writers. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even really I don't even think I was even cognizant of the fact that there was any other, right? Um yeah. any other perspectives or this is this is gospel right here, you know? Um, and so I was resistant. There was a class called Feminist Womanist Theology that Mark Taylor, who's still at Princeton taught. Um, and I remember being resistant to Feminist Womanist Theology. Um, part of it was just, you know, um, I don't know, I, I grew up Baptist, but I would say I had some evangelical, some sort of conservative evangelical um, influences mm -hmm. by the time I was the age I was when I got to seminary. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I would say all that to say, I think subliminally or or even blatantly was, you know, had, had been communicated that um, anything outside of the, you know, what we knew yeah. to be standard was whether it's blasphemy, you know, <laughs> or yeah. radical, you know, or just not to be touched yeah. um, because of the 
maybe sort of like the fundamental perspective of biblical studies, right? Which basically says like, um, this is the inerrant, you know, these are the words, there's nothing outside of this. So even though I were taught that biblically, I was taught that biblically, I felt that same way, even when it came to just theologians in general, right? The theologians that I was, the classical theologians that I was introduced to. So anything outside of gospel and Paul and Bible and these particular theologians felt mm-hmm. like off. Mm. I was conditioned to believe that. I didn't think that there was any other way, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I stayed away from that class. I don't think it was, I don't know if I took it till, it was, we had three years there. I wanna say yeah. I took it my second year, but I may have taken it my third. And um, so, I don't know what led me to it. I think part of it is because mm-hmm. in seminary, you know, your eyes just start to be open, your perspectives start to be open. And you're like, yeah. okay, let me just go ahead. And just didn't realize that, you know, wow, there is a way of learning about God from the perspectives of those that are on the margins, from the perspective of those in different cultures, gender, identity, um, yeah. and just no clue. And forget <laughs> others, just affirming my own. Right, like, wow, oh, I have see God this way. I, yeah. from my perspective or upbringing. And so that's what womanist theology affirmed for me. It affirmed me and my experiences. And then the black women that came before me and their experiences. And then, so this journey that I've been on, cause seminary is back like 2000, I graduated in 2008. So it was a while ago, I was still mm-hmm. very young. And I've I've been on a journey even since then because it wasn't just those three years I would say yeah. that that did it for me. And so now to be at this place, and my first book was about just black girlhood and mm-hmm. um, you know just the the cultural and spiritual lessons that we learn from black contemporary black girls. And then this, the second book was about the leadership of um, really Gen Z modern day Gen Z black uh, girls who are leading movements. So it wasn't necessarily theological but really more in the leadership realm. But to come to this place now where uh, the book is called Womanish Theology, Discovering God Through the Lens of Black Girlhood, I would say is a full circle moment for me um, to have half of it, you know, half of the, each of the chapters is uh, like sort of memoirish. And then the other half goes into just um, black women that I've interviewed, black girls, um, black women that I've interviewed about their girlhood and remembering Mm -hmm. things and how they perceived um, these theological concepts. But for me to write these things, right? And I first chapter writing about my grandmother, my my, my grandmother's twin sister and how I was like really introduced to the faith through them. And I was like, Mm. wow, I learned about God. You know, I learned about theological principles as a three-year-old, you know? Like, and, 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 and I learned, these were my teachers, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? These were the ones that introduced me to scripture and to prayer and to faith mm-hmm. and, and, and they're like legitimate, right? Like it's not, it wasn't when I got to seminary and I had the PhD professor, yeah. you know, um, which all well and good, but Mama Hattie was my grandmother's name. Mama Hattie was like, she's legitimate, right? Like may not have been schooled, you know, may not have had sort of this traditional way 
of of learning about things, but taught me this is what communion. I remember my first experience in church and communion plate was going, you know, going by. And I was really young. I was sitting with her and I was, you know, gonna gonna grab some. And she's like, no, 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 you know. Um, then she explained to me, I'm like, why can't I take communion? Everybody's taking communion, you know, and and the Baptist, you know way of, 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 of uh, communion is such that, you know, you need to be a baptized believer in order to mm -hmm. take that. And she's explaining that to me, right? Mm -hmm. So why would I not think that, you know, looking back in, in my adulthood, why, why would I not look back and say, wow, Mama Hattie was my first theology teacher? Mm -hmm. Why would I not? That's, that is, that is society you know, that is sort of the sort of white supremacist theology, right? Like mm -hmm. that would, you know, send me the message that my my grandmother, you know, um, in a small town in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, um, that I would overlook that experience and delegitimize it, right? Like just naturally, um, and so womanist theology and subsequently womanish theology of black girlhood would now have us go back as as black women and then black girls who are in their girlhood now mm -hmm. and to say what are you how are you learning about god right like in the the chapters that i'm the topics that i'm writing about in the chapters or whether it's hermeneutics um, imago day of course is a big one mm -hmm. uh, hospitality and community and prayer um, theodicy. I talk a lot about, you know, um, the 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 not just the the struggles or the tragedies that I mm -hmm. sort of experienced as a teenager and how I process that um, through sort of a spiritual lens or the crises of faith that I went through. Um, to go back now and write and say, wow, those first eighteen years at least of my life, and say like. Gosh, I had so much theological training in my girlhood. Yeah. And had no idea. I just yeah. assumed it started when I got to Princeton. So Yeah. Long explanation. Yeah. No, that's so that's so good. Thank you. And um yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I was studying um the Assemblies of God and how they started um, you know, hundred years ago with Azusa Street and a little bit before that with um, a horrible guy named Charles Parham. <laughs> no. uh, um, but, uh, you know, looking at, you know, the intersection of European theology and what uh, my pastor back in the day was at Harvard wrote yeah. about, you know, slave religion and the experiences of slave religion meeting yeah. with European theology mm -hmm. and like Azusa Street came mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what is it that, because there, there's a part of hearing what womanism is and almost because of maybe my theological training and even people I know, that something about stories and things just aren't as powerful. Even art a lot of times in yeah. circles I ran in, yeah. um, in the Southern Baptist and, you know, when I was growing up, art yeah. and stories, they, they just weren't, you had to have like a doctrine. And if you, if that was what you're talking about, like, Oh, I'll listen. It means something. Right. right. And yeah, I think what you're hitting on is truly universal because all of us have teachers and well, all of us yeah, um, yeah. 
have teachers and theologians in our lives that they might not be Karl Barth, but they were my dad and my mom. Right. Right. You know? And so I really love that about what you're talking about um, and your stories. And um, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, your first, well, your first book was Parable of the Brown Parable Girl. Parable of the Brown Girl. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. Parable Brown Girl. Um, it came out one month before the pandemic. <laughs> Tell oh everybody. Gosh. <laughs> Fond memories of all the plans I had. <laughs> oh <laughs> gosh. So sorry. <laughs> um, but some of them did. I had a full month of things. Um, yeah. And I had things after that. It was just, it just was different than what I expected and thought. Yeah. But Parable, um, to make a long story short about Parable, it, I I was I had this sort of in-between years um, working at a um, uh, the Christian Wellness Center uh, in Somerset, New Jersey as like a pastoral, um, pastoral counselor. It was part-time. I was just trying to figure out where I was going next. And I was working a few part-time jobs. And, and um, a, a lot of the parents would bring their um, daughters to me, you know, and I became sort of like this resident counselor for teenage girls um, or even girls as young as like nine, 10, which I did write about in the book. Um, but I remember sitting with them, you know, we would have these counseling sessions nine times out of 10, they didn't want to be there. And then eventually, <laughs> you know, we would meet weekly, you know, every other week. And then we, we just got closer. They would come in. Oh, let me tell you what happened at, at school today. Oh, I want to show you this video. There was a fight at school. Let me show you, you know, like it became more of that. And and we're in this small, I felt like I was in a corner, like the way that Somerset, New Jersey is even set up the where the counseling center is feels like it's far out in like the corner. Mm-hmm. And so I literally felt like I was on the margins. And so the girls would come in and it was quiet center and we would talk. And um, I just remember leaving those sessions. Sometimes I'll be the last one in the center or the only one there, you know, and just drive home quiet. Everything just felt so quiet. Mm-hmm. But the girls, there was no audience, you know, wasn't a pulpit, you know, it, they just, it was just us, you know, and they knew it was, it was confidential, you know, mm-hmm. um, they, they knew that, that there was a trusted environment. And so they would share and I, it went from me just giving them advice to just us learning together. And there were just some things about the stories that they were telling, like you were just saying, like just the stories. I, I'm learning from them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just watching them navigate just the toughest situations. And I use one as an example because I wrote about her in the first book. Um, of course, they're all anonymous names, but she's not. Was nine years old at the time, mm-hmm. and just had some struggle. Her mom's boyfriend got out of jail and moved in the house, and you know she just felt. Uh, off about it and mm-hmm. um, felt like, you know, pushed aside, but just had other struggles with her dad. And anyway, so she was, you know, coloring as we were talking and she said, can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure. And she was like, why would God make me a warrior when I'm really just weak? Like, mm. believe it or not, <laughs> like, wow. you know, like, and I was like, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know, let me get back to you. <laughs> you know, like, I there would be things that these girls would say that would throw me for a loop because mm-hmm. like most young people, that's why I love working with youth and I consider myself a youth advocate because they just say whatever, you know, they're not, <laughs> true. they don't care who you are. Yeah. And, um, 
And I, I came back to her the next week. I said, warriors are weak. Warriors are weak, you know? And, um, but this wasn't a super spiritual, you know, I was down as a pastoral counselor because I wasn't a clinician, mm -hmm. but they weren't coming to me as a reverend. They were just coming to just me, you know? Yeah. So to ask that question, and for me, I remember driving home that night and being like, that was deep. It was a theological question too, right? Like yeah. something really profound about it. Anyway, I had a few of those moments um, multiple times with these with these girls. And I remember saying to myself, if I ever got a platform, I want to share their stories because it's changing my life. Mm -hmm. And just the, this in this corner of Somerset, New Jersey, in this little office, yeah. this is ministering to me more than any church, you know, uh, sermon yeah. or whatever. So. Um, so that's where Parable of the Brown Girl came about because I felt like these were like, what would these look like? These would be like parables in the gospel of Jesus met these girls and had these yeah, encounters, yeah. like I was having encounters. So I wrote about these encounters. They weren't all the girls that I had just counseled. There were some girls I had mentored, girls I had just met on my journey, um, my, my career, and stories that just stuck out to me that I really remembered. Yeah. And, um, and I wrote about them. Um, and then what I got from them. So part of it was like the, the, why did God make me worry? And I'm really just weak. The parable of the strong Brown girl, I think it was called, I should know. No, it's terrible. The weak Brown girl, um, <laughs> but I'm writing about the myth of the strong black woman and how, you know, that has been something that has followed black women, you know, for generations. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and, um, but then I also write about sort of like what I got out of my encounter with her spiritually. And I write about, you know, when God is, uh, when we're weak, God is strong and the sort of strong, weak um, dichotomy that that we see theologically in scripture. So each chapter is kind of like that. It's like, what did I get culturally yeah. from this? And then what did I get spiritually out of this? So that's where that yeah. started. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I love that, that she was just coloring an asset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I was a kids pastor for a good bit. Um, I'm, a, I'm a youth pastor now, so okay, awesome. All the ages, and uh, yeah. it's true. They'll they'll bust out some questions. Say whatever. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I'm gonna get right. back with you for sure. But um, you you touched on this for a second um, about you know some myths or stereotypes, maybe whatever you want to call it, that follow, mm -hmm. that have followed black women. Um, we dove into that in my previous class on womanism. And, mm. um, I just was, mm. uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. I mean, there were moments in class I was speechless and just wow. realizing, yeah. realizing even in my, um, churches growing up, just like these people, cause I, cause you know, racism is mm. a big, bad word. Mm -hmm. it, it has been for, you know, maybe 15, 20 years or, or more, obviously. But when I was growing up, it was like, you know, nobody in this church is racist. <laughs> like, nobody in this church is right. You know, but then my friends would be like, yeah, well, um, my parents don't let me date black guys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I would be like, you know, I would known these people for 10, 15 years. And I've been, wow. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you, yeah. Your parent, are you joking? And they'd be yeah. like, no, I, I grew up. Like oh, that. And so, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and, and for a little bit more context, um, 
my sister is adopted and she's a black um, mm -hmm. girl. She's actually 17 now. Wow. And um, uh, she has such a cool story. But, you know, growing up with her, mm -hmm. I remember being on a panel. <laughs> I was mm -hmm. like eight years old and there was uh, our city did a panel of families that had adopted and interracial questions and things like that. Okay. And I remember somebody asking me something about her being black and does that affect how I see her as a sister or whatever? And mm. um, eight year old. Like, yeah. I was like eight years old. No, she no. was, I think a year old. Um, okay. So she's just, all I know is just this cute baby who yeah, is now yeah, ours. Yeah. She's right. mine, you know? Right. Um, and so I just remember even at eight and, you know, kudos to my parents for how they raised me. Um, but just being so caught off guard by that yeah. question. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like I call yeah. her my sister cause she's my sister. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think I was caught off guard. I was speechless by a lot of the stereotypes and myths I've heard, mm -hmm. but it makes sense in light of what I had experienced in mm -hmm. my, my Southern white evangelical yeah. churches. So I, yeah, I don't know if you could hit on that a little bit yeah. um, and expose some of those maybe and talk through maybe your experience of those. I mean, gosh, I don't even know, you know, where to begin. Yeah. I, I will say I am, I am grateful that this, this new generation has the words to articulate what they are experiencing we're, 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 we've given them the, the words, we've given them the tools, the resources that it's not mm -hmm. perfect, but I mean, just even things like mental health. I mean, it wasn't a phrase for us growing yeah. up. So if, a, if I hear these teenagers say, you know, this is not good for my mental health, you know, and there were so many things growing up that weren't good for my mental health, but I had no idea how to say it, how to advocate for myself, yeah. you know? So Growing up as a black girl, stereotypes and myths, you experience them, you internalize them, but you don't know what they really are. Um, or we didn't at the time, or we just were sort of silent about it or had to deal with it, you know? Um, so I do write about this in Parable of the Brown Girl. There's one chapter called Parable of the Angry Brown Girl, you know, so sort of it overlaps with the sort of attitude, black girl got an attitude, angry, whatever. Um, and part of what I'm writing as the girl is a long story about for her, she's got a really unique story. But one of the things that I say in this like, well, has anybody stopped to ask why black women are angry? You know, and we're not all angry, but you know, why is it? How come they're not where we are not justified in said anger? Um, you know, so there's the two sides of the coin. There's the not all black women are quote unquote angry, right? Or have a quote unquote attitude, but then there is the side of it is, well, what would what would cause that? Then the focus yeah. is so much on angry black women. And you see that in the media, you see that in how we're portrayed, you see it in, you know, these old pictures of Michelle Obama when she was you know, in the White House and sort of like the extra muscles and the angry. And she has never, ever portrayed that. You know, she's always been very careful. It just follows. And so I, I and so Black girls, it follows Black women our, our whole life from our girlhood upward. And so to see Black girls still 
deal with that. And there's a girl here where I currently uh, work and, and, you know, she's, she's actually not, she was very quiet. Um, There's not that many black girls here, you know, she's just really quiet and very, very soft-spoken. And so they put her on the sort of support team, you know, just like want to want to look out for her. And I could see why she felt maybe isolated, right? Like, how can we support or whatever? Part of me, you know, I have to learn to fight my battles here. So I'm not fighting every battle at this point. So, yeah. but anyway, but part of me, if I was going to choose to fight <laughs> um, everything, it would have been you know, have you considered how it might feel for a black girl and, you know, to be one of 10 in a school of 545, you know, of course she feels isolated and quiet, you know, like, have you ever been in a space where you're the only one? Um, She's new. That'll make some people mad right there. It's true. She's new to the school. So you're anybody that's new, no matter what your color is, is going to be feeling all trying to make their way. Yeah. Soft-spoken, sorry, you know, but then, you know, there was a meeting where it felt like she was like progressing, felt like, yeah, we could take off the list. She's doing really good or whatever. And one woman says, you know, I wish I can just ask her to just fix her face, you know, like, why does she look so angry all the time? I, it took everything in me, you know, to not say anything. And it's like that I didn't say anything because I'm passive. I fight a lot here, you know, I'm, I am constantly saying something. So that's another reason why I have to like, you know, be, yeah. be mindful. That's for my own quote unquote mental health to quote, to quote the kids. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and so, so in a normal day, you know, I knew I was going to tuck that away though. I tucked it away because <laughs> I still think about it because I'm thinking this girl doesn't even come off as the sort of stereo stereotypical mm-hmm. black girl with an attitude you know, uh, image that, that you all or that society would place on her. And yet you're still putting on her. That's the crazy part. You're still putting it on her. She's literally being, she's literally quiet. She talks like this. She's so (laughs) quiet. And you know, the, the kids call it RBF, right? Resting B face, right? Like I wouldn't even say that she has that. She just is quiet. And wants to be left alone. And you couldn't even help yourself. You didn't even realize like that you're contributing to the stereotype. You're contributing yeah. to that. But you know, these are the people that aren't racist, right? These are the people that are progressive, that yeah. are liberal or whatever it else it is that they, you know, and mm-hmm. so they're because they've already um you know, establish themselves as such. They're not self-aware when they have these moments. They're not self-aware of their blind wow. spots when they say things, you know, because they're not living consistently with a spirit mm-hmm. of humility and teachableness because yeah. they already are good. They already yeah. have. It. So they, she can make a statement like that. And it just, nobody even budge. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, here we are. And that's just one example yeah. of it stereotype that follows black women and girls goodness goodness um yeah you hit on the one of ten <laughs> school and that was that was a big conversation um i can't even get that personal but uh <laughs> for the sake of some people that you know anyways uh, that, was, that was a big thing in the south was like you know 
we're diverse and it, you know, mm-hmm. it's a couple different races or ethnicities. And mm-hmm. I'm like, me and my, my wife is, um, half, uh, white, half black. And mm-hmm. so we were just like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> there's 300 white people here. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you know, yeah, if you claimed it, you were like, yeah, we're not. And mm-hmm. maybe we want to be, I'd be different, but right. you know, you it's know, a whole it's different whole- thing, uh, to say that you're diverse in that way, because you're right. Like I've had some people that I know and trust and love that, you know, they've said it, it's true. If I was the only white person, um, it would feel, you know, weird or different or mm-hmm. not what mm-hmm. I'm used to. Yeah. I'm like, my wife is like, I've been there. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, I, I think for my listenership, um, which maybe might be, um, in that realm. I mean, I, I obviously am not, um, throwing anybody under the bus from yeah. this, but I just think you're right. We, we all need to be teachable, uh, humble because like you said, a person who maybe is liberal or even could say woke or whatever, yeah. um, can still have prejudice and bias against any race, race or ethnicity or gender, or whatever. Um, and maybe feel like they're done. They've reached the the pinnacle mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. done learning about this subject. I'm yeah. all inclusive here and I don't say any sort of, right. um, which, you know, part of the reason I, you know, reached out to you was to introduce people to this because it is uncomfortable, but it's needed. Um, for, it's uncomfortable for some people, obviously yeah. not for everybody, but yeah. for a lot of people I know, getting into this in any sort of way, even if it's in a good setting can be uncomfortable. Um, and I feel like a lot of that uncomfortability comes from, you know, I've got to encounter my own prejudice, my own bias. And that's a scary thing, you know? Um, yeah. yeah so what, what would you say, uh, to somebody, I mean, let's just do it. It's a white person. They've yeah. never heard of this. They never heard of womanist theology. Um, they've never, um, studied much of, um, even a black theologian, not claiming to be womanist or anything. Right. Um, what, what would you say as like, um, as sort of introduction, like this is, you know, this is adding value. This is, um, adding to the canon in a good way. And I, I'm not necessarily asking you to justify it. Obviously, yeah. um, I don't think that's needed, but, um, but, but yeah. I mean, you know, granted, we're both sitting in front of our bookshelves of like, you know, and I, and I'm not expecting anyone to, you know, go out and I think it's easy for us to say, you know, go do all this reading, go to seminary. We're not, I'm not saying that, right? Yeah. It's just about being open to learning. And there's that, that, that uh, Greek term, imago Dei, you know, image of God. Mm-hmm. And if we're all created in God's image, we all quite literally look so different, all of humankind, right? Mm-hmm. Like literally, there's not one person with the same fingerprints, yet we're made in the image of God. So what is that message sending? That message is sending that we are all God bearers. Like we are all, you know, bearers of God's image. And yeah. so because of that, there's something that I have to learn from the billions of people that are on this planet that there's not just one stream or else we would all have the same something or, you know, like God 
created a diversity of human beings mm -hmm. for a reason, right? Not mm -hmm. just for us to just live among one another, but for us to learn about and among one another. Mm -hmm. And we've just been so siloed and so one stream and one way of thinking and one way of reading and all of that. But just from just the, the nature of who God is in general, that should send us the message that there's so much more to be learned from each other. Mm -hmm. We kind of got to start there. Yeah. Um, because I'm if, if you want to expand your knowledge of God, if you want to grow spiritually, right, because I'm a spiritual director and she's always like, you know, when you were a child, you thought of a child, it's time for you to sort of move forward. Mm -hmm. And so if we're wanting to grow on our spiritual journey and take that to another place, then we now have to put away childish things. And the childish things is just being fed, uh, of, you know, or taught um, one through one lens mm -hmm. from one perspective. That's childish things. We have to yeah. put those things away. Right. Yeah. And now it's time for us to learn. And so that might mean just, I mean, forget the books. I mean, of course, of course, we want you to read. Right. <laughs> but when I had that one conversation with that girl, right. And just my spirit was already open and talking to her. Um, so God was able to speak to me through her at nine years old. I never would have expected that I would have learned about God from that small mm -hmm. place, you know, and that young girl. But I did. And so it's something even as simple as opening yourself up and having conversations with different people. And I think we come a lot, you know, like particularly people who are we are sort of mission mentality as to what can we do for you all? What can yeah. we how can we go spread the gospel to other countries, you know, as opposed to, all right, I'm going to a quote unquote missional place, right, to another country. What are they going to teach me about God? It's never that. It's never that. It's always what can we bring over there? What yeah. might we bring? What, you know, what can we do for them? And that is our a lot of Christians' mentalities, right? But if we were to go over those spaces and say, I'm open now, Lord, what what do you want to show me here in this yeah. foreign land with these different people who don't look like me? Teach me about mm -hmm. you. That's a spirit of humility. You know, that's that's a different type, that's a revolutionary. Uh, way of doing mission. Yeah. So we have to change our missional mentality and just we're learning. So that means in your communities, in your, you know, churches, and your, whatever, all of that, you're learning about God from others. Then, of course, there's the, the books and, you know, learning about other types of theologies, which is fine, but you may not graduate to that. You may not get there. It might yeah. just be you know, talking to the little black girl in your community and not being like, hey, honey, what can I do for you? As opposed to mm. let's spend some time together because I'm about to learn about God. Like, you yeah. know, like yeah. tell me what you think. You know, you have a, a, yeah. a, a learning spirit and it takes a lot of humility to do that. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Well, um, I'm just excited. Uh, we got a couple months, but um, along the way, I'm going to go on Audible and go on Amazon and grab a couple. Of oh, I'll, I'll actually probably send you. Uh, I won't forget this. I'm, I'm going to send you a pre-copy because I need some I need some people to. Of the newer book? Early on. Yeah. I need, oh. I need to write, you know, some sort of endorsement <laughs> or something. But, you know, like, no, I do. I, I do want you to get an early copy. Yeah, I'd love to read it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, man, that's so hospitable. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. 
um, well, yeah. So thank you so much for coming on and um, for everybody listening. Um, even though I got the early copy, I'm sending you on Amazon to go to Chrissy Adams and her Instagram and check out her podcast and her writings and um, just pray for her as her new book is coming out. And uh, just thank you again for, for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me.